Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 155. I am your host, Nicholas Minix, and joining me in place of Jason Collette, who's on the, we'll call it the seven-day disabled list, is Brandon Warren. Brandon, how you doing today? Hey, good. Hope everybody's doing well, too. It's uh, fun and glad to, glad to be on with you here. Yes. Very, very glad you could join us. Uh, Brandon, obviously, a lot of you are probably familiar with Brandon's work on Rotographs specifically. Uh, but uh, is definitely, he's been a longtime contributor at, at the site. Very excited to get his take on some of these situations, and we're going to jump right into a couple here. First, I'd just like to note that uh, we can mark this down. Houston Street blew a save today, and uh, just happened a few minutes ago. Give you an idea of when we were recording this, but <clears throat> uh, his second blown save of the season, first with the Angels, and uh, he did not. He failed to record an out at that time, so uh, all... All hope is lost for the Halos. Just kidding. Okay, uh, we're going to start with uh, some a situation that I think is a little interesting in KC. May not be much of a big deal, but uh, Lorenzo Cain has sat out three of the last four games for the Royals, uh, and might have sensed a pattern with a couple of those the the first two in that stretch coming against right-handed pitchers, and maybe just uh, wanted to give Cain a bit of a break. Maybe he had something nagging going on. It's, it's really hard to say. There wasn't really much in the news about it. But then he also sits against Tommy Malone today. However, uh, it's it's a justifiable move considering, uh, and the, the Royals played it this way, that Malone is kind of a guy who typically has um, reverse splits. And, I mean, with the soft toss and stuff that he throws up there, it's not really that big of a surprise. Uh, but Kane did play yesterday, uh, on Saturday, against a right-handed pitcher, and he struck out, I think, in all four of his at-bats. I think the only thing that's that's interesting about this, because Kane is certainly, he's, he's performed well uh, defensively and offensively for the Royals, uh, and Jared Dyson has pretty much filled in most of the time. Uh, that he sat. Uh, I think it's an interesting situation since Kane has not performed poorly. And uh, uh, I'm, basically, I'm just curious if you think, uh, I don't think there's too much to read into this situation and think that Kane is suddenly a, a serious risk here. But uh, it does make me a little concerned that they're going to start playing a little more uh, of a platoon situation, which is interesting because Norichi is the guy who was kind of struggling for a good portion of the season. He's really picked it up of late, and so now Kane may be the guy who's uh, kind of going to be subject to a stricter platoon. Yeah, I think what's going on here, too, they added Josh Willingham here in the last week or so, is they're going to mix and match guys. I don't think Willingham will play very much outfield, but now with Hosmer out, they need to have Butler play first. That leaves a DH spot open to mix and match with Willingham and Raul Ibanez. And then you look at the fact that Aoki and Dyson and Kane and Gordon, you got those four guys in the outfield. Gordon's going to play every day as long as he's healthy. Great defensive left fielder. But you can kind of mix and match based on matchups and what you like. Now, my preferred outfield would have Kane in it over Dyson. Dyson's speed kind of makes him a fun situational player and somebody you can drop in late in the game if you need to run for Butler. And then you could you know bring somebody in to play first base or, or do whatever. But... It's just it's a lot of nice little pieces that can be kind of dispatched here or there, and not really a, a huge drop off defensively. All of them, I mean, Aoki is not not a great defensive outfielder, but the other three are fantastic. So that, that's kind of been a thing for them this year. Yeah, and I, uh, just maybe a month or so ago, there was a little bit of talk, and this was more generated in the press that perhaps Aoki was a little bit of risk of losing some playing time. I think this was pure. I mean, I don't think that Nadeau's considered it at all, but uh, it, it came up. He he had to field a number of questions from the media over a couple of weeks, I think it was. And, yeah, because, as you talked about, Dyson's speed adds and just overall adds a great element of defense. I think we can pretty much kiss that possibility goodbye because Aoki is kind of – he's really heat, uh, kind of heated up here recently and – that, if anything, will be kind of a justifiable excuse to keep him in the lineup. Although, yeah, I, I think the combination of the fact that he's just kind of replacement level defensively and, and doesn't he hasn't had a, added a whole lot offensively either. Just I think it's kind of a deference to the veteran without necessarily necessarily him providing that kind of value. 
Yeah, for me, he's, he's one of the only guys on the team that can take a walk. So you can you can put him at the top of the order if you feel like it. They they like to have Alcides Escobar up there too, which he doesn't he doesn't do a whole lot for me. But I think where where you mix him in is is if he's hitting better and, and Dyson slips a little bit because I, I don't believe Dyson's offense is something they believe he's going to develop too much. So yeah, in a way they they pair up pretty nicely. Yeah, that is true. And uh, yeah, ultimately it's. It's just a little disappointing if you're a Kane owner and he was getting those five games a week, and now it might be something more like four, uh, which, you know, the grand scheme of things, there's not a whole lot of season left, but that could make a bit of a difference, and so maybe that changes your mind. I, I own Kane in a 12-team mixed league just because I had to pick him up and patch a spot, but I'm going to look to dump him and, and fill that hole with a different player now, for instance. Moving to the Dodgers, just real quickly, it's interesting. Uh, Ned Coletti noted that uh, he expects to call up Jock Peters and Alex Guerrero when rosters expand. Of course, that's on September 1st. Obviously, then we want to know Al- Alex Guerrero, pretty pretty unlikely to play, I would say, because I don't think the Dodgers view him as a shortstop. And assuming that uh, unless there is a health issue, I don't think that's really going to uh, create the possibility unless they consider shifting D. Gordon back to shortstop. Uh, because Gordon has clearly proven his value at second base. Uh, the question likelier here is Peterson, and maybe not likely. Uh, I don't think this is, personally, I mean, I understand there's been a lot of lot of interest in Peterson. I've fielded some questions in chats, um, occasionally been asked uh, some comments and some comments and articles, things like that. Peterson, understandably, is a player that fantasy owners are highly interested in, and why haven't the Dodgers made this move? So I think now the the question might still come, even though they're waiting until rosters expand, is Peterson going to play? I I personally still think that they're going to defer to the, the arrangement that they've been going to, but it certainly at least opens the door. What do you think? Well, I mean... You could you could kind of throw him in there maybe here and there, but I don't think he's going to get enough playing time to be all that viable. You you've not had a great. I mean, okay, so so if you look at the out, outfield offense for the Dodgers, they're like top five and weighted on base average as a unit, but they they do have their warts. I mean, there's no real natural center field option in there. Kemp's not a good fielder in center, and and neither is Puig. But at the same time, those are the two guys that are hitting, with the exception of Scott Van Slyke, who can't really hit righties so then you got sunk costs and carl crawford andre ethier it's it's a confusing kind of weird situation where you think they could probably make it work and i I don't know i mean he's not on the 40-man roster if you're going to put him on the 40 i would think you'd want to give him a look because they probably have to add him in the offseason anyway i'm not really sure what his rule five rule four status is but at the same time if you're going to get him up there you you will acclimate him to the big league lifestyle a little bit too. That's a, a big part of September call-ups is just getting guys in the clubhouse and and dealing with that day-to-day stuff. But at the same time, he I think Peterson is, is twice as likely to see regular playing time than Guerrero for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I'm, I'm definitely in agreement that uh, as far as the likelihood and uh, the possibility. Peterson obviously with the, I think it's 28 home runs, or I'm sorry, 29 home runs, 28 stolen bases. That's through Saturday. Uh, the minor league level, he does. He has struck out twenty six point eight percent of the time this season. That's a little disappointing. That's kind of uh, jumped a bit this year. But I mean, all, by all accounts, he's a pretty, a pretty, relatively speaking, a pretty safe prospect. Um, but yeah, I, and I agree. I think I think this has more to do with just that exposure to the MLB lifestyle and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, he probably, ends, yeah. yeah, he probably ends up on the forty man in the off season because that just seems to be what these teams. I mean, he's almost certain to debut next year. Yeah, and I think, too, it'll kind of hasten the exit for Ethier and Crawford in the offseason if they can find somebody to take them and, and pay you know a portion of their salary or something of that nature because at the same time, it, even though they got all that money, they, they just don't want to run out guys who aren't keeping up their end of the bargain. And I, I think if they could move Ethier or Crawford in the offseason, they'll probably do that. Yes, yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Carlos Martinez uh, called up by the Cardinals recently and basically it's because the cards needed an arm in the bullpen uh and uh they really disappointed i think it's kevin segris that they replaced but uh i mean he's kind of struggled has been injured at times this season martinez obviously has acquitted himself on occasion i mean overall i think he has an era around mid fours but uh i i it makes it makes me wonder a little bit because shelby miller has struggled in the last couple of his last couple of starts do you 
do you think it's possible that they kind of revisit the possibility of Martinez replacing Miller in the rotation for the rest of the season? Well, it looked to me like Martinez was stretching out down at triple A, throwing, I think it was 58 pitches the first time out, 70 the second. So you could be looking at 75, 80 pitches for the the next outing. And if, if that's in the big leagues, that, that makes sense to me. Looks as though he, he was doing you know pretty decent down there too. So at some point, you know, you want to see what you got in this kid. He's going to be 23 here in the next few weeks. Uh, Miller has really definitely struggled. It's been a really ugly season for him. Hasn't struck anybody out. The walk numbers are pretty scary, and, and they got to figure out what the heck's going on with him too. So it wouldn't it wouldn't be such a bad idea to put Miller in the bullpen, let him get his head on straight, bring Martinez up, give him a chance to start, and just just shake it up a little bit. Maybe a, a change of scenery while while staying within the organization, so to speak. Yeah, once they, obviously they. They moved Miller into the bullpen coming out of the All-Star break. Uh, he made one appearance there. And put when he went back into the rotation, his next three starts, they were pretty solid. Uh, two of them with a quality variety, for whatever that's worth. Uh, but he, he walked only one and had struck out 12 in about 19 innings or so. Pretty encouraging, at least as far as the results are concerned. He was at Miami against Boston and, against, and at the Padres. I'm sorry, uh, at the Cubs, at the Padres, and against Boston. Not the not the most ideal opponents. Although, yes, I guess the Padres were you know leading the league in offense post break, whatever that meant. <laughs> uh, but uh, Miller really struggled with the command and control again lately. Uh, eight walks in his last two starts uh, has really kind of been hit around as well. I think, given that the Cards probably see, I mean, it's it's. It's. It seems like it's still. It's. It's. It's a possibility that they go with Martinez. I mean, ultimately, they have to be concerned only with results, given that they still kind of fancy themselves a postseason contender. A little bit on the outside looking in, but they still have a shot for sure. And I think um, they were talking very much how uh, how they were pleased with how um, <clears throat> combination of Martinez's command of his fastball and slider. That's pretty important. The only thing they. I mean, they didn't mention the changeup, and I think that that's that's a weapon he's he's probably going to need to succeed. Uh, on a regular basis in the majors. And uh, so I, I don't know where that stands. Uh, it be interesting to see uh, if that becomes an option. But I think it's – I would put it – I mean, 50 – I think it's 50-50 which one of these guys finishes in rotation. If you had to lay your money on one of them, which would you, do you think it would be? For me, it would be Martinez. I'm just – you know, you're breaking down Miller's season. He's got no swinging strikes. I don't know if his stuff is just flat or if he's going through a period where his arm's not feeling good. But – single digits in pretty much every game for swinging strikes, and he's throwing 85, 90 pitches every time out, 100 pitchers, 100 pitchers even at times. So there's something, there's, the jig is up somewhere with Miller, and it's time to kind of figure out what the heck's going on because this is one of the best pitching prospects and, and up-and-comers in the game, and he's just flat right now. And so maybe he goes to the bullpen and rediscovers himself, and then they work him back in too. But it's got to be cyclical, and they got to not fall into any patterns. Because if they do fancy themselves as a contender, still they got to make hay pretty fast here. Right, right. And I do. I I kind of lean Martinez a little bit myself, simply because he's shown a little bit more. I don't want to say promise. Um, I can I personally like Miller still a little bit more long term than Martinez uh, as a better option as a starter. But Martinez has overall kind of been somewhat effective, and Miller is I think is kind of a uh, He's a real uh, coin flip, I think, at this point, and I don't think that that's something the Cardinals can be real comfortable with. Yeah, that's about where I'm at, too. Uh, also, in Arizona, there's been talk, I guess, of them possibly going to a six-man rotation for September, and speculation from the beat, the beat club there is that that opens the door for Archie Bradley to make his debut. Very intriguing player, obviously, is uh, coming into the season, was considered one of the top pitching prospects, has dealt with some health issues this year. Has put up some pretty, some pretty solid numbers at least um, in the strikeout department, uh, spe- especially in lower levels. But has really kind of been hit or miss uh, in the upper levels. Has a 5.18 ERA. Uh, that is in the PCL. Has a 5.18 ERA in his five starts there, and, uh, and had a 3.47 ERA in his 49 innings or 10 starts at the Double A level earlier this season. Uh, but the components, uh, the components are actually kinder to him in the triple uh, at the triple A level, and we know that this is a guy who's kind of been 
uh, until the health problems emerged. I don't think that there anything super serious, but uh, that you know this was a kid kind of destined to be. We thought he'd be making his debut by now. Uh, clearly, is probably going to be a big part of the picture next year. Is this a guy that that interests you in, say, in a mixed league of uh, any uh, certain depth, maybe twelve team, fifteen team? I mean, maybe if I really need something, the walks are scary for me. They really are. And again, you can't read a whole lot into PCL numbers because of, of the nature of that whole business. But at, at the same time, I, I, I like what he brings to the table stuff-wise, repertoire-wise. And I think the star is very bright. I think he's got a very good chance to crack that rotation next year. But at the same time, am I going to try to force him into a, a lost season on a on a rotation that's just not that good. I don't know. I mean, you know, he's, he's kind of alternated good and bad starts. The strikeouts are down in triple a, uh, one time he'll go out and he'll do seven innings and then he'll do two and then five and then three. I don't, I wouldn't force it, but I, I'm certainly no scouting director either. So <laughs> I'll, I'll be keeping, I'll be definitely keeping an eye on what they do just from a, I have MLB.tv standpoint. Cause I want to watch these guys pitch and see what they look like. Not from a results standpoint, but from a, stuff standpoint for process from a sequencing what does this guy look like on the mound because you can you can really find out a lot by watching a guy without getting wrapped up on what the box score looks like yeah absolutely and uh, i mean bradley because of the time missed i think i mean i think the primary advantage for his arizona to bring him up is that he gets to continue to pitch as opposed to i mean I, i'm gonna i'm going to assume that their triple a affiliate uh, is whether they make the postseason or not they want to see him continue to pitch so one way or another uh, given that he's missed, I mean, he's pitched about 75 innings this year, uh, 75 or 80. And, I mean, I imagine he's a candidate for Arizona Fall League, uh, something like that. I mean, if, if they want him to be a significant part of things next year. So they want him to get some innings in. Um, and at that point in the season, the bigs is the only place to do it. But, I, you know, it certainly doesn't hurt to expose him. But, yeah, I mean, the walks scare me. Uh, fantastic stuff. But this is a guy that's kind of like, I want to see him slowly – you know, start to put things together before I uh, cast any kind of any. Uh, I wouldn't want to. I mean, I in 15 team mixed league uh, towel wars. I would. I, if I, I'm only. I would only consider him because my pitching is terrible in that league already, and it's like I have nothing to lose. So I might th- cast like a one dollar bid at him, but uh, I'm not. Don't have high hopes for that. Yeah, at that point, you're just throwing darts, basically. Yeah. Uh, real quick, Dan Straley called up. He was uh, one of the gets for the Cubs in the Jefferson Marsha Jason Hamill deal and uh, was called up for a spot start on Saturday and was absolutely bombed. And he's had kind of an atrocious season. Really disappointing. Not really much to say on that other than uh, hopefully hopefully there's nothing health-related going on at this point. I mean, he's he has uh, in his eight starts in the majors, he has a 536 ERA. Uh, he had a 471 ERA on the farm. Uh, the command rate was – it's a little worse than you would expect from a guy who's typically exhibited a little better from him. Um, is this is this a guy that you're off? Like because of a season like this, is this a guy that you're off in the future? Or uh, I mean to me, I look at Sterling and I say, you know what, there's still some stuff I liked here until I hear some news, some explanation about why, what's going on. Uh, I'm still gonna. I'm still gonna trust him. He's he's certainly not an ace or a number two pitcher or anything like that, but still a decent guy. To, you know, in number three, number four role for a club, and especially now that he's moved to the National League, I'd like to think that there's a little bit of upside there uh, down the road. Well, and he's been better since he got traded too with Iowa. He's got a three ERA. Uh, still got the strikeouts. The walks are they're up there, but they're okay. I, I thought he had a chance too if he pitched well in that spot start to maybe edge out. Uh, Ejax, Edwin Jackson, because Jackson's just been nasty. This is his, nasty in a bad sense. This is the <laughs> second straight year that he's led the National League in losses. And, and granted, we don't really like wins and losses from a, an analysis standpoint, but but Edwin Jackson has been horrible. Edwin Jackson so deserves thought, his losses. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. And I thought I thought Straley could probably you know nudge him off the off the roster or off the, out of the rotation there if if he did well. For me, Straley and Malone, Tom Malone, who pitched for the Twins today, pitched very poorly, I might add. Were two guys, though, that I, I kind of sensed the, the A's would want to move on from, and, and they would go somewhere else and probably be just fine. I still envision Straley, not necessarily, again, as a, as a number two starter or anything like you said, but a guy that can fill out a rotation and at least be league average. I think the Cubs, recognizing that and knowing that you need those guys while you're waiting to, to move forward, and you also need guys to fill out a rotation when you are good. 
So he's definitely that kind of guy. At 25 and in AAA, you know, you'd like to see him finally get that shot and have him push aside a guy that can't perform. And I think hopefully that's what the Cubs will do. Now, what the heck do they do with Edwin Jackson? I don't know, but that's not really my problem either. So I, I think you'll see him in September. Hopefully he'll make three, four starts, and he can kind of show that he deserves to be in that rotation going into next year, even if it's on the back end battling with guys like Kyle Hendricks for a spot. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I mean, I'm I'm interested to see what Straley's offseason is going to look like. Like, I ho- it would be nice to see him get a, a few starts in September. Uh, hope that you know nothing is nothing's going on there that we don't know about, and instead is uh, you know it continues to. I mean, there could be something you know just mechanically wrong or whatever it is. But the the Cubs the Cubs have, uh, I mean, they put themselves in position to kind of. I mean, yeah, he he could be a nice little building block for the rotation to kind of be uh, set set themselves up for uh, as a guy who kind of follow whatever a couple of aces that they come up with uh, when they try to pair it with this upcoming offense, up-and-coming offense that they are putting together. It'd be interesting to see. I uh, wanted to talk a, a bit about uh, Trevor Rosenthal had a, a pretty rough outing again today, uh, and it appeared that he'd put uh, some of his struggles, I guess, from the first couple of months of the season uh, behind him. Uh, but today he, let's see, I think he, gave up one run or I'm sorry. No, he was, uh, <laughs> he recorded only one out and nearly blew a save against the Padres. He was pulled from the save opportunity and relieved by Seth Maness. Manus. I'm not sure how you say that name. I apologize to the Manus family. If I've screwed that up, uh, he's uh, Rosenthal. And he, uh, he was, he was a little shaky in his previous appearance as well. Is this, uh, <laughs> I hate to kind of revisit and say, I mean, they haven't made a change yet. Uh, this season, and they had plenty of opportunity earlier in the year to make a change and go away from Rosenthal. But uh, the walks, I mean, he's close to five per nine innings uh, or well above 10%. Uh, struck out, obviously, close to 30% of the hitters he's faced. But, again, this is a club that, I mean, can't afford to give away wins. Almost gave, one, gave away one against the Padres today and, uh, you know, kind of put himself – he put his club in peril against the Padres a little bit uh, – couple of days ago is this a pot i mean maybe who knows maybe this is where carlos martinez is am i making too big a deal of this i mean obviously he's been pretty good here for the past couple of months for the most part but still um still i think puts a little too much uh he makes things a little too interesting to uh, lately uh, for me <laughs> yeah and he i mean he was lousy in april he was not great in may either and then just kind of picked it up and was pretty solid the rest of the way. The thing for me is if you if you pull him from the roll just to shake it up a little bit, you end up going to Pat Neshek probably, who for all his quirks and everything, he's actually got lefties out this year, which was a long-time worry with a guy with motion like that, is that lefties would just eat him up. And, and at times with the Twins, that's what happened. He couldn't get lefties out. Now this year he's done that. Do I trust his stuff in bigger innings in the ninth inning if uh, you increase his sample size and he faces more lefty pinch hitters whatever you got in the ninth inning I don't know and he, you know he doesn't throw particularly hard but closers don't have to throw particularly hard either for me the scary thing with Rosenthal is the walks have just gone nuts this year too I mean the batting average on balls in play his his is twice as high as Nishak so there is some bad luck at play there but when you're giving up that many fly balls to, you really shouldn't have that kind of luck. That's it's a little bit odd. But you know, at the same time, I probably stick with Rosenthal. I like the guy that throws hard. I like the guy that's uh, more of a traditional power reliever in that closer role. But I'm I'm a little bit different than a lot of people that way. I guess I just I, I'm not buying Pat Neshek the same way a lot of people are, and, and maybe I'm a bad person for that. <laughs> well, I make no judgments about you as a person. Brandon, I, I appreciate your honesty. Uh, and I, I mean, I certainly tend to think that the Cardinals are going to stick with Rosenthal. Um, it's interesting. I mean, uh, a couple of appearances ago, his velocity was down. Uh, it's been it's, it's a couple of times where he's averaged only around 96, which, I mean, that's not a bad place to be averaging in the first place. But, uh, uh, and, but in the next appearance the following day, he was right back up and averaging 98. Uh, with the four seamer and, and just in general is, I mean, he's, 
it's like, I think it's yeah I think it's a situation where the Cardinals are kind of comfortable and almost set in a way I don't want to define it entirely like that but I think that Rosenthal is I mean I think his job is fairly secure um, I don't I think they like the arrangement that they have and they'll just kind of they'll live and die with Rosenthal in the ninth and occasionally kind of put themselves in that kind of peril I'm I'm just a little concerned that overall they I mean I don't. I have, I have my doubts about whether the ERAs. I mean, it's not going to get under three. I think at the at this point, although it's certainly possible, uh, it's just uh, it's it's a disappointing situation. I think for a guy who I mean, he clearly has a ton of talent and throws extremely hard, and seems like he should be excelling in that role without any problems. Yeah, and I mean, he's already walked ten more guys than he did all last year. That's that's certainly a cause for concern, and probably the the biggest issue he's had so far this year, pumping up his his whip and all that because he's he's averaging the same number of hits per nine and he's he's halved his home run rate which is probably unsustainable if you were to dig deep into that but i mean the walks will kill you when you're in a late inning pressure role like that yeah absolutely absolutely and hope i mean hopefully this is just kind of a one-year blip and that control doesn't become a big problem maybe it's just because maybe because he's actually airing it out more so i mean that wasn't a problem last year though yeah the and the home run rate does look unsustainable um, it's going to be, yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of what, I mean, what, what goes on with Rosenthal. It seems like something that eventually they could fix. Uh, Greg Holland, uh, does this concern you at all? Acknowledges that he's a bit fatigued at this point in the season. I think this is not a big deal. I mean, he's, he's walked at least one hitter in each of his last four appearances. Okay. That's, uh, and maybe that's just kind of, that's, that's a byproduct of the fatigue. Uh, I don't think that this is anything to be concerned about. Just a, a chance to dispel any worries for fantasy owners. Agreed or no? Yeah, what's strange for me is that at 48 and a third innings pitched this year, he's basically on pace to throw the same number of innings he has the last three years in a row. So, you know, maybe he's going through a dead arm phase or something where he's struggling a little bit. But at the same time, you know, it's not uncharacteristic for what he's been asked to do the last three years. Uh, if they do need to go, you know, set him down for uh, you know a couple of save opportunities or whatever. That, that bullpen behind him is pretty good, so it's not a whole big worry in terms of as a group. Now, for fantasy owners, it's a little more troubling because you want that usage. And last I checked, he leads the American League in saves. So there's been a lot of fantasy owners that I'm sure are leaning on him pretty heavily. But, I mean, this is a bullpen 10th in ERA and 8th in uh, FIP. So it's a good bullpen that can back him up if they got to give him a couple extra days to get back to where he wants to be. And also, I think fantasy owners should also understand if he's well-rested, he's just going to be a better option for you. So if he's feeling something, he's feeling something, whether the numbers say he should be or not. So I, I wouldn't worry about it too much, but I might watch his usage patterns for the next week or so. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, we have to. I would definitely keep an eye on that. Maybe he gets, maybe he gets the day off at, uh, instead of serving on back-to-backs or something of that nature, unless, uh, unless he has to expend a few pitches and get through one of them. Uh, that's definitely something to watch, at least in the short term. I, I would not be concerned about this at all if I was his owner. Uh, and real quick, uh, the, the the Blue Jays touched on the fact that they might uh, also promote Daniel Norris, uh, and he would he'd be expected to pitch out of the bullpen. He is a starting pitching prospect for them. Kind of interesting uh, in the sense, I mean, they did this already with Aaron Sanchez, and uh, you know, kind of like Sanchez. Incidentally, we talked about that as a you know, he's kind of a sleeper for saves at some point, uh, maybe in September. With the way that Casey Jansen has shown some some discouraging signs, Norris, I don't think is really that kind of candidate. Uh, although, but the the kind of peripheral numbers that he's put up in the minors remind you a bit of Sanchez, and he's an interesting player. Just a chance to talk on him real quick. But uh, I, you know, it's more I kind of gotten to know him a little bit. Uh, he's a left-hander, unlike Sanchez, who, who throws from the right side. Um, it certainly could be an asset in the bullpen uh, for a team that's hoping to snatch a wild card spot uh, but Norris is an intriguing guy he's he's struck out well over 10 batters per nine innings uh, this season between three levels at the class a advanced level the double a level and the triple a level and it's kind of been obviously fast track he's just uh, 21 years old and very interesting uh, Mark Hewlett has had him as the fourth best prospect in the in the Blue Jays system uh, right behind Sanchez who was course kind of the number one overall and again they just both of these pitchers have had control problems uh it's based on some things i've seen from norris i kind of i almost think uh i think 
uh, excuse me, Norris, I think, may have a, a little bit higher of a floor than Sanchez. Sanchez, I think, may have a bit better of a bus rate. There's probably a little more upside uh, with Sanchez in the long term. But uh, is there anything anything that intrigues you about Norris, or are you familiar with the player much at all? Well, yeah, another guy they did that with, too, was Stroman at the beginning of this season. They brought him up and let him work in the pen for a while before giving him the reins to a rotation spot. So this isn't something the Blue Jays don't do regularly. Now, Norris has been ridiculous since moving to AAA. He's only made a couple starts there, but 23 stri- strikeouts versus just one walk in 11 and two-thirds innings over those two starts and a, a 0.77 ERA. I mean, he was good at AA. Uh, the ERA was a little bit touchy, and, and the walks were up a little bit. So it's it's a little interesting that they moved him so quickly. But at the same time, if you see something in a guy where you're not really worried about maybe a, a, a flaw that he has, you know, you just you just keep moving. Some teams are more aggressive with that kind of with that kind of thing, and the Blue Jays seem to be be that kind of deal. And to get a guy up, especially a lefty who you can use in situations down the stretch and late. Uh, for me, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna run against teams that are gonna have big lefty bats, especially down the stretch that you're gonna want to try and neutralize with more than just your usual guys. And and so he he screams to me uh, a matchup play and another guy where if he's on the forty man or needs to be on the forty man soon, you may as well just put him on and bring him up. Right, right. Yeah. He's an interesting name, one for fantasy owners to keep in mind, more so in the long term, uh, considering that the role in the short term won't be really fantasy advantageous, but definitely a guy to keep in mind. The strikeouts are high. Walks, still a little concerning, but uh, I think given what they, I mean, they think of him as a very good athlete, and uh, it sounds like they are pretty optimistic that he can iron out some control problems. I have questions about whether Sanchez will do that, but uh, I think it's certainly, it's much too soon to say that he's uh, unable. Well, the White Sox this past weekend uh, welcomed Avisel Garcia back from the disabled list. And I think, obviously, four or five months ago, uh, that seemed to be pretty much out the window. He had surgery to repair a torn labrum in his shoulder. Uh, in his return, uh, he was two for four with a double uh, on Saturday. And today, he's uh, he was one for, one for three with a double. Um, here's a guy, I mean, I was... Putting him down as far as uh, I mean, I didn't I didn't like him. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think I'd have been rushed to get him in a 12-team mixed league. Certainly, he could be an asset in a 15-team mixed league. Uh, shallow leagues. I mean, this is a guy who's kind of like a borderline or quote-unquote sleeper, a late-round guy you could take a chance on and might hit 20 to 25 homers for you, especially in that ballpark. I mean, I'm concerned now that now that he's back. How much of the power is re- is he ready to produce? With uh, I mean, he had a he had a pretty nice run. <clears throat> his minor league rehab assignment uh, in terms of batting average, but the strikeout rate was really high. Uh, what are your feelings on him as far as a, what kind of league you might want to pick this guy up in? Well, and I was breaking down the White Sox a lot, doing previews with the Twins, and this was a guy that the White Sox seemed pretty convinced he wasn't coming back, and he, he healed pretty quickly. Now, for me, I, I just I don't see him as an overwhelmingly better option than like a Diane Viciedo. It's going to be a, a big power, low walks, kind of a narrow market because if you've got leagues where on-base percentage or walks from a raw standpoint are included, you, you know, you're going to ding these guys. You know, he's, he's going to strike out a considerable amount. He's about a 150, probably 150 times if he gets 600 plate appearances, maybe 140, whatever. But the power would be there. The, and, you know, I think more people are, are dreaming on his body type rather than what he did in the minors because his minor league numbers – Everybody said, "Oh, he's mini Miggy. He's you know miniature Miguel Cabrera when he was with the Tigers." And it, the numbers in the minors just don't look all that great. But I'm sure that people think he'll grow into his strength and a, and a better swing or a better discipline or something like that. But at the same time, for me, yeah, he's he's a back end guy on like a 12 to 14 teamer. If if you had to choose versus you know him or like a Carlos Quentin who you know is going to get hurt <laughs> and, and and don't really want to hedge your bets on yeah you maybe you go with Avi Garcia because he's 23 24 years old going into next year but uh, he's not a guy I have on a short list of uh, my my wants and desires that, that's for sure yeah and I mean that's I think that's sound even in the long term I, I mean I think yeah the numbers that he's, he ran quite a bit in the minors as well I don't think we can really realistically expect the speed to show up in any significant amount in the majors but uh yeah and uh, yeah I think there's some projectable power there the thing that concerns me well you know, at least rest of the season is 
um, because we haven't necessarily seen the power show up already. And this is, I mean, I've, yeah, the kind of the recommendations I see that come along with the, you know, the news bits on, you know, certain websites and things like that, like, Hey, go out and get this guy. He should be owned if some, if for some reason people dropped him and it's like, you know, well, uh, I mean, the power has not really shown up in great quantities already in the majors to begin with. And now you're talking about a guy who's coming off shoulder surgery and it's a pretty significant procedure that he had. It's great that he came back so quickly. Uh, at least it seems that way in terms of his health, but at the same time, uh, it doesn't mean he's necessarily recovered all the ability uh, because he's been down for so much for so long. Yeah. So I, I think he's a guy you might want to scoop after somebody else gives up on him. Yeah. But I and again, you said, you know, he ran in the minor league, stole 20 bases at least once, uh, two times. It looks like for me, though, the White Sox aren't a team that runs a whole lot. Now, that might be a, a function of who's in their lineup right now with your Duns and your your uh, Abreu's and even your Canerco's sneaking in there every now and then too. Your, your guys like Eaton can run if he ever stays healthy. And I think Ramirez can run a little bit too. But at the same time, it's a team that's in the lower half of steals and I don't think they can afford to give away outs with the way their lineup is put together. And so I don't think it's going to be a team that's going to run an awful lot and that will take away one of his perhaps marketable features or functions. Yeah, like you said, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't walk a ton um, and I mean, maybe he's an asset in batting average rest of the way. It's just that, uh, I mean, you know, I think Max, he hits two home runs rest of the season. And I just don't think that there's, a, there's a lot to get excited about at least rest of the season for, for Garcia. Yeah. Not for me. Nope. Yeah. Uh, and so the question becomes also Michael Kadire returns from the disabled list. He had a fracture in his left shoulder and I don't think it's quite the same kind of debilitation maybe as far as the power is concerned. Uh, but he was kind of having a, a slow season in that category. I mean, well, it's not too bad. Five home runs, uh, and 317 batting average, basically, basically all that accumulated before he went on the disabled list. Uh, if you're the Rockies, I mean, they've talked about the possibility of re-signing Gadire. I think that's kind of a silly move. Uh, but, I mean, they have so, many, so much young talent burgeoning kind of in that outfield. I don't see even really the point of it. But... I mean, if if that is the case, perhaps they're going to continue to play him rest of the season. Is this a guy that you like coming back? I mean, I I think that the upside could be greater than Garcia, but to me, it's like I still think the Rockies can't help but be putting on maybe a little bit of a show. I would like to think that they want to play the young guys and that the playing time is not going to be consistent for Kadire. For me, though, every time I think the Rockies are going to do one thing, they do something different. <laughs> that I is true. I thought they'd move Kadire to first in the offseason and, and roll with an outfield of, of uh, with Gonzalez out there and, and Blackman and, and all those guys and, and, and just roll with the young guys in the outfield, move Kadire to first and save a little dough, you know, maybe scrimp and save and go get a pitcher. And, you know, when they started off red hot in those first you know, six weeks or whatever, I thought maybe that was, you know, maybe they knew better than me. But then Morneau's been pretty good, but everybody else is hurt. And so, you know, he's going to come back, and it's going to be the Kadir, Morneau, and, uh, you know, if, if Rosario show, I guess. That's going to be, like, the only guys that anybody's ever even heard of. And so I, I think they'll run him out there, but it, it would scratch – I would definitely scratch my head if they tried to re-sign him. At the same time, for fantasy owners, if you are scraping the waiver wire and you need a little extra pop, I'd give him a look just because of the home park. I mean, basically, the last I checked, the, the Rockies for a team – Weighted on base average, we're number one at home and like number twenty-eight on the road. So, that that home field advantage this year is just un, unimaginable, and you can really exploit that, especially if he's available in twelve or fourteen team, sixteen or whatever twenty-team leagues, for for people that might have given up on the chance that they uh, were going to get him back this year. Now, I, I don't know that that's going to be the case in a lot of those leagues, especially if there's multiple DL slots. But if he's out there, I'd give him a look. Yeah, yeah, like he's. Uh, he's available in my 12-team mixed league in uh, the FSWA Writers League. And, you know, I thought, hey, there's a guy. I mean, I, I kind of, oh, maybe I could stash him. And I just I really wasn't interested. And, I mean, now it's like, okay, the opportunity is here. I'm sure that there's going to be competition for him. I'm not going to shell out a bunch of money, but maybe maybe he ends up being a bit of a difference maker. I would I would have more, rest of the season, I would have more confidence in Kadire uh, than Garcia, I think. In terms of yeah, producing, maybe yeah, in the power department, and uh, maybe even you know, and probably in the batting average, like you said. I mean, the ballpark is advantageous, especially for average on balls in play. I mean, it's just you hit a ball there, and there's a pretty good chance it's falling in for a hit. So, 
yeah, I, yeah, I think I think yeah, like Kadir's fantasy prospects for us the season a little more. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Yeah, uh, Garrett Cole finally will be making his way back from a lat strain, and really, it's uh, I think the health is is kind of in the rearview mirror for him at this point. Uh, the Pirates more so they wanted him to work out a couple of things. Basically, they made it sound mechanically. Uh, but, uh, I mean, they, uh, just some things I don't want to say that they were unhappy with, just that uh, Cole was not providing quite the kinds of performances that they'd hoped for. And he, he was kind of having, he was, you know, an okay season prior to uh, his second stint on the disabled list. <clears throat> 21.4 strikeout rate, uh, 8% walk rate. Uh, and I think the walks, maybe maybe a tad disappointing, more so the hit rate against them. I mean, just a combination with a, a walks plus hits for any pitch of 1.31. Uh, and an ERA of 378. So just, I mean, I think it really, overall, just some results that were just a little, a little worse than expected. But uh, appears to have worked all these things out, at least as far as the Pirates are concerned. Uh, do you see this as a strong fantasy asset rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, he, he's been he's been on the rehab trail for quite a while now, almost uh, almost three weeks. I think they had to pull him back for a minute just to make sure he was doing okay. Because he faced Rochester twice. That's the Twins AAA affiliate. And I get game reports for that. And so he beat them twice and looked pretty good doing it. The strikeouts have tumbled, though. He's had three strikeouts each time out the last three times. So we got nine strikeouts over the course of about 17, 18 innings. A little odd that he's not striking more people out. I, I didn't understand that either from a from a strikeout standpoint. you got a guy, and it got better as the season went on. But, you know, right around league average strikeout rate for a guy that pumps gas like that is just, it's weird. But at the same time, too, I think, you know, Pirates are right in the thick of it. They need to get him back up, get him going. Liriano's had kind of a weird year. They've had pretty nice luck with Vance Worley. Uh, the rotation's funny. I, I think that the reclamation projects for them seem to be doing better than the actual <laughs> big-time prospects because... Uh, Volquez seems to be having an okay season. Liriano last year was lights out. And again, Vance Worley, I just mentioned, has has had a pretty nice little run for them. I think he's starting tomorrow. So uh, they'll, they'll get him up and running here. I, for me, I'd go I'd go get Garrett Cole. I, I believe in the stuff. I believe in the you know where he plays. I believe in, in, in everything he does. But at the same time, you know, is, is he going to even be available in, in you know more shallow leagues? Probably not. It, it all comes down to DL spots for me because some leagues have one, some leagues have two or three. If if he's out there though, I would I would definitely give him a look. Oh yeah, yeah, and I think uh, and I don't mean to imply certainly he's probably owned in, in most of them. I think yeah, given I mean we certainly uh, early in the season we there were probably some questions about you know how, how has Cole performed. I mean he's he's been a little disappointing. Da, da, da. And I think I think at this point, um, I mean you could have you could have said. Yeah, I project some 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 rebound in those numbers, but the combination of the health things, really, what's what's interesting. I mean, um, yeah, it's a little disappointing that the strikeout rate hasn't been uh, consistently high, um, but and it makes me it makes me think too the combination of the low strikeout rate and the minors and uh, the but is also very low walk rate, um, and it makes me think that they you know they again they were asking him to work on something specific. Uh, they wanted him to basically kind of improve some efficiency. They wanted to see him t- get to 100 pitches. I don't know if he got to that in his last outing, but they wanted to see him. That's kind of what they, the, the magic number they wanted to see him get to before they even called him up. I, 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 I think that this could be a very strong finish to the season, kind of like we saw last year when uh, when they first promoted him. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is certainly a team that is probably going to be willing to lean on him the rest of the season as well. Yeah, they got him the 92 pitches the last time out, so he, he should be ready to go. Yeah, that sounds good. And uh, Jacob deGrom, sounds like the Mets expect him to be back when he's first eligible. That would be this Saturday. And uh, obviously he's he's kind of been a favorite of the podcast as a, as a, in a uh, very enlightening season, a 2.87 ERA in his 16 starts with the Mets. Uh, has pitched about 100 innings with the Mets and 139 innings overall this season. We talked about the possibility that, or the probability that the Mets were going to kind of cap him. Makes me kind of wonder if uh, basically I think because DeGrom's going to miss about two weeks and two or three starts, uh, maybe now that they basically don't have to worry too much about capping his innings and kind of let him go rest of the season. So there's a potential plus side of that. Anything you dislike about DeGrom coming back? Well, I've liked him 
pretty much from the get-go. I, I love his changeup, like his curveball. He's got good strike rates on swinging strike rates on rates on just about everything. Even the two-seamer where he's not getting a lot of swinging strikes, he gets a ton of ground balls. The the changeup and the curve are just nasty. You got two pitches that are over 15% swinging strike rate, and they're over 50% for ground balls. That's that's a beautiful combination. Now, they're his two least thrown pitches, so it's probably more a case of of him not showing it so much that it's allowing those pitches to be so dominant. But I, I'm really excited about that rotation going into the future, and that's when you consider that they've got Wheeler and Harvey too, and Degrom. John Neese is a decent pitcher. Dylan Dylan G or G or however you say it isn't so bad. They still got Cologne, I think, for another year. So there's going to be a lot of really good arms before you even consider Noah Syndergaard, who will hopefully be knocking down the door up in in Queens here pretty soon too. So uh, Degrom specifically, though, I really really do like, and I, I I definitely didn't see it coming from him. But I think I think what I like best too is he's got almost a 10% swinging strike rate on his four seam fastball, which yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> that's that's very good for a four seamer. I, I mean. It's not easy to figure out what league rates are on those kind of things, but I think that would be safely above league average. Yes, yeah, I think that's definitely uh, a definite thing. And hope, hopefully the shoulder soreness is, you know, has turned out to be not a sign of anything more serious. It certainly has been everything is about the way the Mets have handled it has been purely from a precautionary standpoint, and they are not, they don't seem to be concerned in the least. So that's very encouraging, and I agree. He's, he's, a, he's become a very interesting pitcher in the long term, I think, as well. Henley Ramirez, uh, bleak strain. Sounds like the Dodgers actually expect him to come back. Uh, I mean, he this guy has been banged up left and right, especially even in a couple of weeks before he hit the disabled list. Sounds like the Dodgers can expect him back when first eligible, and that would be a week from today or on this coming Sunday. Obviously, fantasy owners, uh, it'll be a little late to put him in your lineup if you're in a weekly league, but those in daily leagues and for the following week, that's encouraging news. Uh, Will Myers with a broken wrist. There's another guy. Uh, Here's a, here's a guy who struggled uh, for this entire this season, and uh, then he suffers the broken wrist. What do you what are your what are your kind of I mean I've seen this guy held as opposed to say a uh, Avasar Garcia and Michael Kadire. I've seen people hold on to Myers, um, and not to say that it's wrong. I don't know, but uh, I mean he's coming back from a broken wrist and was not performing well. Now he's torn the cover off the ball in his rehab assignment. Uh, granted, it's only 22 plate appearances through yesterday, but 294, 455, 529 uh, slash line. But is this a guy, uh, to me, I, I'd be a little more concerned, uh, I think, with Myers. And maybe he comes back and, and tears it up again. This is kind of a uh, – but there's still a little bit of swing and miss in his game, that, uh, and he's a little rough around the edges for me. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing is, like, well, obviously Myers and Avisel Garcia are about the same age, but in terms of stock, obviously Myers is much higher. But coming off a wrist is always difficult. You never know how that wrist is going to respond coming off the disabled list and and getting back into action. For me, I've watched a couple of Myers games with Durham because they were playing Rochester, and I got the minor league package to watch, uh, basically watch Alex Meyer and Trevor May pitch all season. So I've seen Myers play a couple games in the last few weeks, and for for my money, he looks like he's pretty much ready to come back up. So I'd, I'd be buying it, and it wouldn't so much be from a statistical standpoint. He just looks fluid on the baseball field again. He looks like he's ready to go. Again, though, that wrist is always the elephant in the room, and that's always going to be difficult to, to evaluate for. So for a lot of people who have been holding on to him, it might just be a risk-reward thing where you can take a guy like Michael Kadire who might be a safer pick, or you can get Myers who... You, you probably paid a decent price to acquire at the beginning of the season because I think he was kind of a, a sexy pick. But at the same time, too, is if he comes back and lights it up and Tampa Bay continues to sort of turn it around and get over 500, I mean, you know, it's one of those gutsy things that I think people would like to hang their hat on at the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Except, I mean, yeah, in the end, the upside with Myers is probably greater than either of the other two guys we talked about. And he did he did exit the season earlier. There's, a, there's definitely a lot more incentive to hold on to Myers. Uh, and certainly makes sense. I guess, yeah, I, I do have the question: is the how how much is the power going to be affected now that he's coming back from this? It's an, an injury we've seen uh, with severe injuries to the wrist, the joint, especially. I think it's when there's an injury to the joint, it's, it can definitely sap power. But uh, I mean, he's already he has homered in his rehab stint. Uh, it certainly looks like it, it's nice to get the, uh, the the firsthand account from Brandon as far as how he's looked. So. It was pretty sweet, Jack. Too, uh, I think it was. I'm pretty sure it was in one of the games I watched. Rochester, he drove it over, and uh, 
he made he kind of watched it a little bit. He kind of made a funny face when he hit it, like a big grin. So I think maybe that's what sold me on him being back was uh, he contacted and then just the biggest smile came across his face. And that, that maybe that was the first big test for his wrist to stand up and uh, to be healthy maybe it was just such a relief for him because he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would uh, would show up to the opponent or anything like that. Yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm very excited about him the rest of the way, even though he was so bad to start the season. Okay, there you go. And I think, yeah, he's if you're talking upside of any of those players, it definitely has to be Meyer still, uh, and for probably the same reasons that folks drafted him so highly in the uh, in March. Brandon Phillips coming back from a torn thumb ligament. Uh, for those of you looking for that uh, six home run, three stolen base type potential, uh, you should be pretty excited about that at second base. Alan Craig. Foot in, uh, coming back from a foot injury this week, um, still not still not optimistic that he's going to produce any better than he did prior to this injury. Uh, what say you? Uh, Alan Craig is if we if we didn't have um, oh gosh uh, his name uh, Carlos Quentin if we didn't have Carlos Quentin to make fun of uh, we would make fun of Alan Craig. <laughs> it's it's too bad because he was a hell of a good ball player for for parts of three seasons for the Cardinals. And then this year, he just has not had anything going for him. I mean, he's played, he's coming up on 100 games, which is, it's not nothing, but it's really not all that exciting. And then you consider the fact that he's got seven home runs. He has no speed and he's hitting 237, no on-base percentage. It's a shame because he's a really cool role player. He's a really cool guy that championship teams have on their roster. But if he's not healthy, what's the use? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's disappointing. Uh, I mean, I'm looking for, you know, I'm looking for 10 to 12 home run power in future seasons. I mean, he is already 30 years old. So it's just, you know, and this is assuming that he comes back healthy. I think the combination, I mean, especially since this foot injury that he's dealt with is supposedly not related to the one that he sustained last year with the, um, I'm suddenly blanking on exactly what the diagnosis was. Liz Frank's brain, I think it was. That, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's. You're right. I think you're right. Uh, it, it's it's disappointing to see him kind of a tumble this far. So it'd be nice to see what a, a healthy Alan Craig can still do. But the it's it's slowly approaching empty batting average territory considering his age. Yeah, precisely. David Wright on the way out. In a sense, uh, he has that bruised rotator rotator cuff that he's been dealing with for much of the season. Apparently, the soreness in that has increased lately, and so the Mets have talked about giving him couple or maybe more a couple of games off maybe more than that uh this week that's just something for folks to keep in mind in the weekly leagues considering that his production has been disappointing already uh if you have if you come up with a a band-aid to, to solve that spot uh and who knows i mean maybe the mets it, it's not like they're realistically in contention for a spot maybe they look to shut him down it doesn't seem like it's going to do any uh, there's doesn't seem to be much benefit to playing right rest of the season yeah, and it's not like he hasn't had stretches, too, where he struggled and bounced back in his career. His age 28 season was pretty disappointing, too. So it's it's too bad. He's really one of the better players in the game and, and kind of underappreciated, I think, in his market. But at the same time, this year has been really bad. Probably won't get to 10 home runs. Uh, might drive in 70 runs, but probably not. A uh, lot of strikeouts compared to walks. I mean, it, some of the luster is definitely probably coming off him in terms of uh, how Mets fans see him and how fantasy owners see him. He'll be a, a buy low candidate, maybe like a Chase Headley before that blow up season in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously much higher uh, name recognition value than Chase Headley. But at the same time, he'll be a, he'll be a value guy next year that I think I'll be looking at. Yeah, I'll, I'll be, I think I'll be in the same boat on that. And it looks like, it looks like I think if you point to the walk rate declining, uh, I would guess, based on the fact that the pitcher, I mean, considering the zone rate, there's a, a notable, I mean, it's not a huge, but a notable increase in the zone rate. It looks like pitchers have, have come to fear right a little less, and perhaps they just, because they know they kind of stayed, it's not the, it's not the David Wright they're used to uh, somewhat fearing uh, in previous seasons. Hyunjin, Hyunjin Ryu, strained butt. He had to hit the disabled list. Uh, Kevin Correa, does this guy interest you? Giving the upcoming schedule, I don't think, I don't think Ryu's going to miss. And by the way, uh, strain gluteus is the technical term there. I just, uh, it's, it's more fun to say. But Kevin Correa, three starts upcoming: San Diego uh, and Mets, both at home, and then at San Diego. Uh, if he gets that third one, uh, I think Ryu won't miss much more time than the minimum if he does. But does this guy interest you? Probably not in a mixed league, but uh, considering that they had just acquired him. 
and you're probably familiar with him as a Minnesota guy. Um, I couldn't be less interested. <laughs> okay, <laughs> kind of figure no, it out. Honestly, I, I, he just he, he does nothing for me. He's uh, he's got a lot of pitches, but none of them are really wow pitches. He's got a splitter that's nothing special. I think he's got a slider, a breaking ball. Besides that, a fastball changeup. He he throws a little bit of everything, but none of it really does much for you. In fact, when I looked at his sequencing before last year, in uh, in 2012, his sequence went in inverse value in terms of weighted on base average. So. The pitch he threw the most was the one that got hit the hardest, and it went in negative value. It was just so strange to see an inverted kind of cor- um, correlation there. Now, you know, he, he does nothing for me. And that, that, that back end of that rotation, and even Dan Heron kind of, I mean, not to be rude, he kind of sucks. And so, I <laughs> No, mean, no, no. I've used the word sucks on this podcast more than once, and uh, yeah, it's I mean, not rude you, at all. <laughs> you can win a series with Kershaw and Granke and whoever, but – they got to get Ryu back in there. I did, you know, Mike Petrillo, who's a, a Fangraphs guy, a good dude, really wanted, uh, I wouldn't say really wanted, but he said they should be interested in John Neese. And, you know, I've broken Neese down a couple times. Really nothing jumps off the off the stat page for Neese. He's just pretty solid, but uh, probably a higher acquisition cost than Correa and Hernandez. And, and they're just patching it together with the understanding that, assuming they make the playoffs, you really only need three starters, and as long as they get Ryu healthy, they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But uh, if they if they needed to go get somebody, I think needs to be the guy they would go get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Uh, I don't know. Don't uh, don't discount the artist formerly known as Fausto Cremona. Okay. You know, and we were, <laughs> one other thing too, kind of to to go back to it with um with Uribe on the disabled list, maybe Guerrero will see a little more time at at short. With Hanley nicked up too, uh, but at the same time, I think I think we're still at a point too where the Dodgers are, are more focused on that rotation mm-hmm. and and moving forward with that. I think they like their infield, but uh, you know the rotation is certainly in flux, which is which is stunning when you consider that they they went and got Mahalam in the off season as well, who's on the on the sixty day DL right now. Billingsley tried to pitch through, uh, you know, I think a torn UCL too, so it's. It's been weird. You, you you prepare for the worst possible scenario, and it gets worse. Yeah, <laughs> that is definitely true. Depth turns out to be not as big a strength of the Dodgers rotation as we thought it was. And, yeah, that's an excellent point as far as Guerrero is concerned. Depending on how Uribe recovers, uh, he missed, I think, more than a month with this uh, similar type of injury the last time. And so maybe, I mean, the jo- Dodgers, they seem to be pretty happy with the way Justin Turner has performed. And it's kind of understandable. Well, he's a... He's not a bad utility infielder for them to throw in there, uh, but it'd be interesting to see if uh, they maybe try to get a little more offense to make up some make up for it somehow. And so maybe Hanley goes a third and Guerrero a second and Gordon to short. That could that that would be something I think at least possible to watch. But uh, sure, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, uh, and so in in the last last significant topic to talk about is Homer Bailey with the strain flexor tendon. I. Uh, the, the Reds have already dealt with a couple of pitchers. He, he hits the disabled list. They've already dealt with a couple of pitchers who had similar injuries, and they missed uh, extensive time to the point where I think, even though Bailey thinks he can come back rest of, uh, at some point this season, seems pretty unlikely, especially if the Reds um, continue to go further out of the race. Um, so it, there's, there's a lot to be determined there, and uh, filling in for him will be at least at least – he did on Saturday will be Dylan Axelrod and for as enthusiastic considering uh, take take Brandon's enthusiasm for Correa and multiply that by negative 10 and that's about how much enthusiasm you should have for Axelrod so we're going to move real quickly to uh, our favorite and least favorite two-term pitchers of the week uh, as our uh, favorite activity uh, to close out our Sunday night podcasts and uh, so Brandon I just want to get us started here as a guy who you you can uh, you be more than welcome to lead us off here if anyone strikes you. Uh, seeing this is a, I'm not sure if you're a rookie to this activity, but uh, at least uh, as far well, as I'm concerned, <laughs> no, I'm actually not. I write, that's my weekly column is two start guys. So oh, that's, um, I apologize completely. That's right. I totally <laughs> blanked. I wasn't even thinking about that. Yes, no problem. So so for me, <laughs> I'm going to tell you guys who my three were this week. Now. My caveat is they have to be owned in under 50% of ESPN and Yahoo leagues, and they have to be started in under 50% of CBS leagues. I, I like to do that so that I, I can't just pick guys off the top like a, a Hisashi Iwakuma or a Max Scherzer, 
who both start on Monday, or a Steven Strasburg who starts on Tuesday. For me, or excuse me, not Tuesday. I got my days mixed up here. Uh, so for me, here, here's where I went this week, and I'll give you a little methodology too. I went with Jason Vargas, who starts Monday against the Twins. I've obviously watched the Twins' offense this year. It's been ugly. <laughs> I love Vargas because I, the, I think the Royals made a very conscious decision to go with a fly ball pitcher, and he, he does get some grounders too, but a fly ball pitcher with that fantastic outfield defense. He's really done well this year. If you look at his numbers in terms of batted ball outcomes, he's got like a 480 OPS on fly balls, like a 480 OPS on on ground balls. So that defense has really helped him out. Now, did they need to give him a market rate contract, or could they have signed somebody a little more under the radar? Yeah, that's neither here nor there. But he's got the Twins, and it looks like Trevor May, who's gotten beaten up a little bit in his first couple outings. And then he goes to Texas. Texas hasn't done anything offensively in the last three months. Mm -hmm. So I think he's a, he's a pretty good option for a couple starts there. I do like Chase Anderson on the National League side. Can't get uh, right-handed hitters out, which is kind of worrisome. He's a right-handed pitcher, and he can't get righties out. So I wouldn't own him long-term, but I think he's got a couple decent matchups with, with the Nationals and then San Diego, who... Yeah, I get that they're red hot, but they're still <laughs> San Diego. They're still uh, number 30 in, in, total, in terms of offense. And I still, you know, it, it's uh, it, I just think it's a, it's a better matchup. And then I went with Vance Worley, who we talked about a little bit earlier when we were talking about the Pirates. Worley is, is basically back to doing what he did that made him pretty solid with the Phillies. Mm -hmm. Ground balls, and the walk rate is way down. I think if the Twins had forecast that he was going to stop walking people, there's no way they would have given him up for nothing. So those are those are my three kind of under-the-radar guys this week. Yeah, we talked about a little, uh, talked about Worley uh, several episodes ago and just what you know what he was doing different. And, uh, again, this is kind of a reclamation project. The Pirates, uh, he actually, uh, one of their kind of pitching gurus, uh, he had consulted uh, when, when Worley was in college and uh, basically had kind of, this is, you know, happens to be, Happens to be where he ends up that he gets to kind of uh, be under this guy's tutelage again. I, for, I forget the fellow's name, but uh, they basically went back to he he had really kind of gotten away from a lot of things he mechanically he had done in college and early on in his pro career. And it's interesting to see. Yeah, Worley is certainly he's probably exceeded expectations significantly as far as his results concerned. There's probably some regression. Oh yeah, here there due. Is. But yes, he is. Uh, he certainly is. He's he is not the pitcher that he was in Minnesota, and I I like that pick uh, because anytime you're facing Atlanta, I mean it's a team that runs hot and cold, and if you're not walking anybody, then you're not helping Atlanta, and they sometimes hurt themselves significantly. So uh, he may not have to do more than tread water against Milwaukee to uh, to make that a pretty good week. So yeah, he's Milwaukee's Milwaukee is not a very patient team either. Yes. So I, I kind of. That does kind of play into his hand a little bit. Yes, yes, excellent call. I'd be interested to see, uh, and I'm just, I'm, I like to just pull. I'm not very good at this. I'll be totally honest. Two things I would say. Uh, just, uh, I'm going to say Justin Masterson. Maybe this, maybe this cards have gotten him to the point where I mean he was brilliant in his last start, results wise, seven innings and get, allowed only three hits. I don't think he walked anyone either. I mean, that's really what is really pretty important uh and the, and the cardinals just before they or just after they acquired him uh gm john mazillic said that uh that their belief obviously they wanted to get him healthy he was coming off a knee injury but also uh, they thought that they saw something that was a little off mechanically with him as well in their scouting of him and so that they they were pretty confident they could fix that maybe his, that his free agency will be fascinating yes yes Definitely will, definitely will. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb, and because I'm a Phillies fan, and also say that uh, he's probably gonna smoke the Phillies no matter how bad he's pitching. So um, I'm pretty optimistic about that one. And uh, oh, come on, he's got Jerome Williams. That's gonna be a pitcher's duel. <laughs> <laughs> yes, only in only in the Williams family, uh, if uh, he gets to face maybe a, a nephew or something, will that be exactly. a pitcher's duel? <laughs> so yeah uh, and uh i kind of like mike leak uh but uh he's he's been pretty solid all season we'll see how that goes uh but again two offenses that have been hit or miss and struggled quite a bit this season in st louis and atlanta sort of surprisingly too you'd think st louis is usually at the top of the leaderboards they've they and the uh the boston red sox have surprised me they've been pretty lousy offensively this year both of them Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, but Boston has really picked it up since the trade deadline. Uh, they've, I think, they won like six of their last, well, five of their last six until they ran into the buzzsaw that is Houston today. 
Um, and uh, but they and they've been uh, they've increased their offensive production significantly. And wouldn't be surprised if they you know, they kind of pick things up toward the end of the season and uh, kind of become a real pain. Uh, sure. for, for contending teams and uh, coming into next year, if they kind of pulled another turnaround next year, I like the I like the two start picks, and there's nobody that really that really concerns me overall. Except I will say that Jer- uh, I'd be a little cautious with Jared Weaver, and kind of precisely because of that reason, is I'd be a little a little interested to see uh, how he does at Boston coming up, and then also at Oakland. But uh, Oakland has really struggled since trading you and assists for this, so. Uh, perhaps there's not really much to be worried about. I know that they can they can really stack lefties there, so maybe uh, maybe they can get to Weaver. Yeah, but uh, that will do it for this episode of the Sleeper and the Bus. Brandon, awesome stuff uh, as always, and really appreciate uh, easily. This is the best two turn pitcher analysis I've ever heard on the show, um, and it's not just because I do the show with Jason Collette, although it's primarily because of that. But it's also because you were the tur- the two star pitchers guy. Uh, for rotographs and we really appreciate your, your insight overall thank you for joining us well thank you for letting me be the bus to your sleeper <laughs> yeah i wouldn't uh, i wouldn't go that far uh <laughs> clearly not a regular listener of the show we appreciate yeah we really appreciate all your stuff be sure to check out brandon's work obviously a very insightful fellow and we appreciate his time and uh again appreciate you sticking around i am nicholas minix and this has been episode number 155 of the sleeper and the bust Boom, boom, boom,